A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Greetings, Skywatchers. This is Ryan Sprague, the host of the Somewhere in the Skies podcast, and I want you to join me at AlienCon. AlienCon lands in Baltimore, Maryland on November 9th, 10th, and 11th. Explore the unexplained with your favorite ancient aliens contributors, UFO researchers, and stars from hit sci-fi and sci-fact television shows and films. I'll personally be giving my solo presentation, and I'll also be joining my good friend and colleague, Jason McClellan, of Rogue Planet, to moderate and take part in panel discussions throughout the weekend. It's going to be a fun and informative weekend for families, serious researchers, and all curious minds alike. And right now, you can get an exclusive Somewhere in the Skies discount on all tickets by visiting thealiencon.com slash register and using the code SKIES at checkout. We hope to see you at the Baltimore Convention Center in November. And now, on to the show. Welcome to another special episode of our Halloween series. Today, we talk to haunted historian Allison Jornlin. That there is something called the Pope Leo XIII Institute, and it is a private nonprofit organization whose stated purpose is to educate priests in the holy ministry of exorcism and deliverance. Right here in Milwaukee, we have an organization that trains exorcists. I thought you had to go all the way to Rome for that. Not the case. There's a lot of things going on beneath the surface of the city that nobody has any idea about. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. Welcome to Somewhere in the Skies. I'm your host, Ryan Sprague. We continue our Halloween series this week with another listener story that is sure to give you the creeps. This is the story of the demon upstairs. This was an experience I had when I was a teenager. It was summer, and I was spending the weekend over at my friend's house. I arrived mid-afternoon and was told that my friend had promised the neighbors she would babysit their children later that night. Here I should say that my friend lived in a duplex, she on the left, her neighbors on the right. Nightfall came quick, and off we went to babysit. Everything was normal at first. Bedtime routine went fine. There was no protesting about going to sleep. The parents had us have one child sleep downstairs and the other upstairs to prevent them trying to stay up all night talking and playing. They had only been asleep for what seemed 15 minutes, when I heard a loud thud. Thinking that maybe their son was up playing and having trouble going to sleep, I walked up there to tuck him back in. However, I found him fast asleep. I questioned if maybe I was just hearing things, and went downstairs to hang out with my friend. I didn't even have a chance to sit down all the way, when another loud bang happened. Only this sounded like someone opened a window and fell inside, 
which would have been impossible as there was no stairs or patios upstairs. I felt afraid at first, but rationalized it must have been the boy. He must have been pretending to sleep when I went up there the first time. So back upstairs I went and straight into the room where he slept. The only thing, however, there was no running sound or jumping sound that we as children do when we're trying to sneak around and play past bedtime and we hear our parents coming. No, it was just silent. There he was, still snoozing away, where I saw him before. So I said his name and said, Hey, I can hear you up here. You know you're supposed to stay in bed and sleep. No more playing, okay? But there was no response. He just continued sleeping. He hadn't even heard me. So I went down the stairs and decided to sit on the bottom stair, determined to catch him in the act. My friend came around the corner and asked me what was up, so I told her. That's when we heard another loud bang, the same as before. Knowing now it was not the children, we worried if maybe there could have been an intruder. So together we went upstairs and checked every room. Again, we found nothing. I was scared by now, and we proceeded to go back downstairs a final time. That's when the front door opened, and I jumped out of my skin, which also started the children's parents who had just arrived home. We tried to explain everything to them. However, they tried to convince us it was all in our imagination. So off we went to go back over to my friend's side of the duplex. As soon as we walked through the door, I told my friend's mother what had happened. To my surprise, she looked me dead in the eye and said, Oh, I know. It's been happening all night for the last two nights and it's gotten loud. And if I can remember correctly, I believe she said it had been starting sometime shortly after midnight. I looked at my friend and asked if she wanted to stay up with me, but she declined. She had enough and was exhausted herself and wanted to sleep. So I stayed awake with her mother downstairs. Sure enough, the same loud bangs happened here, upstairs, as had happened next door, only an hour or so ago. This was so much worse, though. First a bang... Then what sounded like a chair being lifted and dropped on the floor above our heads. The sound came from everywhere, and you could feel it all over within you. My head began to hurt. I felt a bit nauseous. I asked her what happened if we went upstairs. She said nothing. Nothing would happen. That we just wouldn't hear anything. I had her go with me, and sure enough, it was silent. As soon as I had descended, the stairs, however and went to turn the corner to the living room. The loudest bang happened. This sounded like a king-sized four-poster bed was slammed down on the floor above. The sound penetrated so deeply that even today, as I sit and write this, I could not only hear it, but still feel it. My friend's mother began to worry. She had told me that it had not been this bad, and suggested we needed to begin to pray, and so we did. Finally, after what felt like hours since this entire thing began, the sounds lessened until they completely stopped, leaving us with a silence so loud it almost hurt your ears. And then our ears began to ring. And that was it. I hope to never go through another experience like that for the rest of my life. Thank you so much to this listener for sharing this story. Next time I hear my upstairs neighbors jumping around and dragging furniture at 3am, maybe I should call a priest instead of hitting the ceiling with a broom. If you have a story you'd like to share on the show, you can reach me through the contact tab on the website to discuss further, somewhereintheskies.com. And now, onto this week's guest. 
Allison Jornlin is a recipient of the Milwaukee Paranormal Conference Wisconsin Researcher of the Year Award. She has been investigating hauntings and other strange phenomena for over 20 years. Inspired by Chicago's Richard Crow, who kickstarted U.S. ghost tourism in 1973, Allison developed Milwaukee's first haunted history tour in 2008. Since then, she's led numerous haunted history tours and presented talks on a variety of Fortean topics, poltergeist, UFOs, cryptids, and demonic possession. She frequently works with paranormal teams to investigate historic buildings, providing witness interviews and archival research to facilitate their efforts. She can also be heard on the See You on the Other Side podcast. Today, we talk about some of the most famous hauntings she's researched, including the tragic death of a young boy being beckoned into a lake, a haunting experienced by an entire Major League Baseball team, and we even ask the question, can a ghost leave footprints, as we take a walk through haunted history with Allison Jornlin. I'm here today with Allison Jornlin, and we are just going to run the gamut. Uh, we, you and I connected maybe a couple months ago, right? And um, That's right. Right, yeah. over um, Indigenous People's Day. Yeah, <laughs> of all things, right? <laughs> right, right. We're, um, I, I know you, uh, I know New York uh, has, has an active Indigenous People's Day movement, although um, they haven't gotten it passed yet, but um, we were able to get it passed in Milwaukee County, that thanks is, to your help. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. And I know you, you did a wonderful campaign of getting people to send uh, photos your way. And uh, one of those was a gentleman in Hawaii who I'm right. my... My girlfriend and I are huge fans of. Um, who yeah. was that? Would you mind well, giving um, a little? Lopaka Ka- Kapanui. Yes, he's um, a great uh, ghost historian um, from Oahu. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just uh, I I was fortunate enough to uh, meet him back in uh, 2015, and yeah. we're still we're still friends. And I would really love to have him on uh, see you on the other side podcast. Yeah, uh, because he is just uh, just a a wealth of knowledge about uh, Hawaiian culture and ancient stories. Just incredible. We, we were just so lucky when we, um, my husband and I were in, um, we're in uh, Honolulu in uh, summer 2015. And um, we met uh, Lopak and his wife and they took us all around the Island mm-hmm. um, showing us uh, sacred places and uh, it was just one of those one-of-a-kind experiences that you'll never forget oh absolutely I'm, I'm first of all I'm so jealous you met him face to face but I <laughs> I have to agree Hawaii was one of those places where you can just feel it everywhere you go I mean there's right. so much history and uh, uh yeah we could do a million episodes on that and I'm sure we I will know. Um, it, it, it's a magical place yeah it really is in every sense of the word mm-hmm Absolutely. So yeah, I kind of today, Ellison, I wanted to cover some of the stuff you're uh, very knowledgeable in, both in the paranormal and the Fortean realms. Um, yeah. So I guess my first question for you is, did you have any sort of pivotal experience with the paranormal that started you on this path, as some of us often do? Well, I... I started as a child, so I really didn't have uh, a pivotal experience. It was more like being so 
uh, enamored with the idea that, you know, there might be something else to our existence, uh, you know, something more that we can't see. And so that was a really compelling idea to me. And and also these questions, uh, these eternal questions of, you know, who we are and why are we here? I mean, that that was really what drew me in the most and, and got me to really delve into all the strange books that were um, at the school library and the community library. And so uh, a lot of a lot of researchers have started out that way. Now, um, when I look back, I, I do know that I had, you know, as a child, some experiences with synchronicity that felt magical. I also had an experience with with I would like I, I was interested in psychic phenomena. So I would make people play the number game with me. Oh, yes. <laughs> You know, think of a number, yeah. any number, and then try to, you know, I tried to divine what it was. And I do remember distinctly having an experience where somebody thought of a number and I was able to figure out what that number was. And while that was happening to me, I felt a tingling sensation in the middle of my forehead, which I remember that experience now because although, you know, I was reading about it, I didn't know. You know, I was reading about psychic phenomena and the paranormal. I I don't think I knew about the third eye. So for me, that's like, whoa, what happened there? Was I really making a psychic connection with someone? Because, you know, I felt that tingling in the, the area of the third eye. And that was a time when I didn't really have that knowledge. Mm -hmm. So that's compelling to me. And it's kind of a template for the way I go about my paranormal investigations. I mean, I'm not your typical uh, paranormal investigator in that, you know, I'm not equipment based. I'm not even metaphysically based. Okay. I mean, what what I'm what my mission is, is to search through history and find these compelling stories that had no explanation and still have no explanation today and seeing if there's any connections between what happened then and what's happening now. I mean, to me, that's that is so, you know, so telling to me mm -hmm. uh, if you if you can have something that happened then. And nobody remembers it, and it's still happening now. So that's kind of like my holy grail to search for for a phenomena such as that that it still continues and was recorded in history, but um, everybody's knowledge of it has faded. But now people are experiencing it anew. I mean, to me, you know, if you can find those patterns, uh, if you can find you know something that still exists, uh, to me that. That is a kind of proof. I, I couldn't agree more. And that's sort of the approach I take in my my facet of study with UFOs is it's the stories. You know, without them, we have nothing. There's no right. there's no data to analyze. There's no, um, you know, whenever I see these ghost shows, I hate seeing all these gadgets that they put around the house. I mean, that's cool, but it's yeah. not going to, first of all, uh, if I were a disembodied spirit, let's say, um, I'm not going to see a camera and be like, ooh, you know, let me go wave at these people or <laughs> right. let me talk into their, uh, into their meter or their recorder. It's just. Right. Especially if they're from the past, right? Exactly. I mean, they might the... not recognize what those things are, but right. they recognize a person. Right. 
and it's sort of condescending in a way if you think about it it's like i'm i'm a spirit i'm not going to talk into your little recorder or knock over one little you know pen off of the table like let's let's get real here (laughs) right i'm not your performing monkey yeah exactly (laughs) like if you're here i'm an eternal soul treat me as such exactly thank (laughs) you i'm glad we're on the same page with that I, I want to sort of get into the inception of um, what you're doing in your your neck of the woods with your ghost tours. So in 2008, you founded Milwaukee's first haunted history tour. That's and right. I love the idea of the history of places. Whenever I go somewhere, uh, my girlfriend and I always want to do a ghost tour, find out the history, do a little, uh, you know, legend tripping, as it were. So Absolutely. How did the idea for the haunted tour come about? So my brother and I, as you mentioned, my brother and I um, and his his bandmate, uh, Wendy Lynn Stotts, do this great podcast called See You on the Other Side. Mm-hmm. But he got into it around the same time I got interested, I believe, because my mother used to always – I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and she always used to listen to the Chicago radio stations. Mm-hmm. And during Halloween, they would have this uh, ghost historian on named uh, Richard Crow, And he had actually started – Haunted History Tours in Chicago in 1973, which was the same year the Haunted Tours actually started up in London. So I think those are the first Haunted History Tours. Uh, and so Chicago's not that far away from Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. And I um, always uh, used to, uh, uh, during Halloween, she would she would uh, put the radio on and she'd like, come on, kids, it's Richard Crow," And then we'd huddle up. Uh, next to the radio and listen to listen to haunted tales of chicagoland and i think that's what really inspired us the most mm-hmm. uh, to see that that he was taking folklore seriously not not brushing it under the rug um but studying it and and displaying it and performing it for everyone to see uh as a part of history and uh, so, yeah, 1973, that's a long time ago. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I was like, hey, I became a teacher and I was like, I got these summers available and maybe I should make my own part time job. <laughs> and and nobody, um, you know, nobody had had started haunted history tours in Milwaukee before that point. And I'm like, that is just a shame that Chicago's had one since 1973. And I guess I just got tired of waiting. And it took a number of years to, you know, get the history of the city down and and to, you know, just find enough stories in uh, a small location. Because uh, we we uh, sometimes offer bus tours, uh, which are easier to put together, but um, our our staple is the walking tour. Mm-hmm. And so when you design a walking tour, you have to have enough stories in like a mile area. I mean, right. you can't make people walk <laughs> that much. <laughs> Sometimes I even complain if it's like 1.2, which mine is right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so it, it takes a while. And uh I, I'm just glad that, you know, I was able to do it because it gives people a, a weekly forum during the summers, um, you know, and up until Halloween to talk about their stories. Because, you know, that's how I've been able to continue to collect stories is, is by having that, that weekly opportunity to come face to face with people and giving them a place, a safe place where they can talk about their own experiences. In terms of that, for some of us who may have never been 
to uh, the Midwest or whatnot. What what sort of areas do you cover with the tour? Um, I, I I've heard mentioned the Third Ward and um, yeah, certain other areas. Could you co- sort of describe that? Paint a picture for us of what yeah, the tour so, embodies. Right. So the Third Ward of Milwaukee is is a very historic section of of the city, and actually used to be known as the bloody third (laughs) because um, for a long time it was an Irish enclave and, um, and there were some rough and tumble characters who inhabited that area. I can imagine. (laughs) Yes. And so today it's really this charming arts district, but it's great to bring the past back and all these people that have been long forgotten. I mean, I I found this article, Ryan, which is all about third ward nicknames. Like you could, mm-hmm. like back in the day, uh, back in the um, 1800s, uh, early 1900s, um, you know, people went by certain nicknames that really uh, embodied their character. Like um, the the leader of one of the reigning Irish gangs was was named John Boiler Walsh because of his his horrible temper. Ooh, okay, okay. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, my tour is about bringing back metaphorical ghosts. Like, unfortunately, Boiler Walsh doesn't haunt. I wish, really wish he did. <laughs> uh, but so, bringing back those metaphorical ghosts, and also talking about modern day paranormal reports as well. And um, the the third ward of the city is, is just a little bit south of um, our our downtown proper and uh so just south of wisconsin avenue although back in the day wisconsin avenue was was um our 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 main our haunted main street as i call it um was part of the the third ward historically so um yeah and we're we're right between uh the river and lake michigan so there's a lot of uh great stories from uh from the river and from the lake as well oh i can imagine yeah there's so much i would assume happens with all People traveling between the rivers and yeah, and some big tragedies uh, occurred. Yes. At pivotal tra- tragedies that really shaped the history of Milwaukee. So I talk about those as well because, again, these events are long forgotten and and people have no idea of what the history is. I, I mean, I think it's different here than in places like Europe where where people are more connected to uh, their history, or in indigenous societies where people are more connected to ancestors. And I, I like to. You know, it's more than just the ghosts. Of course, I love yeah. the ghosts, right? Yeah. But it, it's about connecting people to history. Mm-hmm. Which I think uh, often gets lost when we look at legend tripping or ghost hunting. Uh, we're so focused on um, trying to hunt that ghost instead of really hearing the history of why they might still be there. That's what I enjoy is the people who are willing to go to the local library and look up this let's say this establishment that's supposedly haunted and actually find out who that spirit might be instead of saying, you know, tap twice on the table if you're here. No, who are you? Why are you here? Um, What led you to this point? You know, let's get to know that ghost before we ask these things of them. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, I, I think the ghost would probably like it if you did your homework and knew how, how to address them by name. Right. You know, think, think about like uh, living people and, you know, are they going to respond better to, you know, somebody who's personable, who knows their name and knows a little bit about them or, or somebody that, that just kind of comes in and <laughs> harasses them and knows nothing? Yeah. Yeah. That's the... 
the sign of an irresponsible investigator, I would say. So on, on your tours, Ellison, have you ever had anything yeah. really interesting or paranormal happen where it sort of left the people there being like, oh, my God, this is real. Oh, man. <laughs> I wish that I could. I mean, I have have experiences where where people people have um, said that you know they caught things on film, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's nothing like uh, it's nothing like other places in the world where where <laughs> the, the ghost like scratches you or <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or makes you faint or anything like that. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I, if I can drum something like that up, I certainly will. But the the tour as we do it is really helps people to see the entire city and in a way they haven't before. So that's, that's the way that it's transformative. I mean, I, I'm hoping one day that I get maimed by a ghost. <laughs> that's one of my New Year's resolutions, actually, a, a quality maiming okay. from the supernatural. Uh, because, you know, that's really compelling. You can you can show people the evidence of, of what happened. Right. But, um, yeah, I, I think... I think even more compelling than that is is to is to come away from a tour and have your wor- worldview changed. Yeah. And and I think that that's what we've been able to do. You know, and I've taken several ghost tours now. Um it's something I sort of just started doing because I've also just started traveling for the first time in my life. I have been in New York State my entire life. Um, <laughs> I met my girlfriend, who is a worldly traveler, has spent years in different continents. Um, so I have her to thank for that. And we do. We try to hit up these ghost tours in every town. And I find the historical aspects so much more rewarding than seeing, you know, an apparition in a window or something like that. Right. Like, I mean, that would be awesome. It and, would, uh, it would. and, but I, you, you know, the thing about being on this side of the tour, I, you know, because I've been on the other side too, because I'm like you, <laughs> anytime we go anywhere, I'm like, oh, we've got to do everything haunted <laughs> there is to do in this yeah. town. I mean, what, what and, else, you you get bored on vacation, let's be honest, where you're just hanging well, in the hotel sometimes. So let's I am go find always something. looking for the weird. I mean, that that is the pinnacle of entertainment for me. So I want to go on the haunted tour. I want to stay in the haunted hotel, yep. in the haunted room. I want to eat at the haunted restaurants. <laughs> I want to do it all. So I'm, I'm pretty... Um, pretty addicted to uh the weird so but i'm on the other side now offering the tours and i really see how people are influenced by the media uh, to expect you know bleeding walls for example i'm like if i had bleeding walls oh man (laughs) i'd take you right there right now um but i think i think the, the paranormal in reality with my scant experiences of it is much subtler than that. Mm-hmm. And, um, but you cer- certainly as a tour provider feel pushed, um, to, to embellish or to make things up, which I, I will never do, Good. but you can, you can really feel that from people that they want something so dramatic and, you know, they're not attuned to the subtler, uh, more life changing aspects. Yeah. That's such a good point. Um, you know, I, I recently heard an interview with a gentleman who haunts houses 
for a living uh in terms of special effects and this and that and you know he won't divulge who he's worked with but he says some of the most prominent haunted houses around the world are using his skills and capabilities to amplify and exaggerate hauntings um which is extremely yeah. disheartening for someone like you i would imagine right. or paranormal investigators who are just trying to tell the stories and show you know the stories are living you know that's right. what matters living history yeah yeah living yeah that and that is, I think, a response to what the public wants. They they want um, ever more dramatic experiences. Like, you know, when you watch the evolution of the movies, uh, for instance, you can see that as well. And I love today's movies. I love car chases and explosions. <laughs> you know, let's just be honest. Yeah. But you, you can see that they're always pushing the envelope. And, you know, for the paranormal, I think, you know, we, we've got we've got to – We've got to come up with a higher standard because we we don't want to be we don't want to be uh, faking it yeah. at all. I, I think there's something compelling there, you know, whether whether that ghost grabs you by the throat or not. Mm -hmm. You know, there's something to be learned there that you can take away uh, if you just open yourself up to it and, and listen. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I I think I I, I listened to that interview. Um, or you know I'm I'm uh, I'm familiar with with what you're talking about the person who who um, haunts these mm -hmm. uh, these supposedly truly haunted locations. Yeah. And you know once you go down that road, it's like how do you how do you get that credibility back? Yeah. I mean, where does it end? Yeah. Right. And even places you know in town here that that it's like here's my catch twenty two. This is like a terrible <laughs> situation that I'm in. Okay, <laughs> so I started. Um, I started uh, investigating ghosts in Milwaukee, which is a very conservative Midwestern place. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's really hard to get people to talk about their ghost stories. You really have to drag it out of them. Okay. So that that uh, makes things difficult for me, doesn't it? Uh, but on the other hand, businesses are starting to realize that, hey – you know, we thought that hauntings would drive people away, but actually it brings them in. They're good for business. Oh, we don't want that to happen either because then they start augmenting and you can't believe anything they say because right. you know that that's a major part of their business. And, hey, these places might very well be haunted, but then you're like, how do I separate um, the truth uh, from, you know, the razzle-dazzle that you're giving me? So, uh yeah, I I much prefer it when I have to drag it from people or that I hear this is my favorite when I hear from others that that uh, places are actively hiding their ghosts. Like they tell workers there or volunteers there, we can talk about the ghost stories here, yeah. but it stays here. <laughs> oh, that is so right. Funny. That is such a good point. I I've been to many UFO conferences and you'll see these people get on stage and talk about, you know, the subtler aspects of the UFO phenomenon. Very skeptical, very objective. And then you get, like, one whiskey in them or one beer, and then they start unraveling and telling you what they really know and who they've really talked to. And, yeah, there's almost that inhibition to, you know, we want to get it out there, but we kind of don't. And that is the first question people always ask me, you know, like, do you think towns that have a ufo crash history do they embrace that or do they want to you know 
shove that in the back of history to never be uh, talked about again. Um, you look at something like Roswell. That town only exists now on the money they bring in from a UFO festival every year. Hundreds yeah. of thousands of dollars are pumped into that every year. The hotels get packed, this, that, our local restaurants. So I can imagine, you know, somewhere like Milwaukee um, would want to embrace that in one way, but also shy away from it because no one wants to be the ghost city or the ghost town. Um, because I'm sure it would attract a lot of, a lot of crazy people in one aspect, <laughs> but then also, uh, like you said, it's a catch 22. Absolutely. Right. Once um, money gets involved, you know, it's really super tough. And, yeah. and, you know, and people will look at me while, you know, I started a haunted history tour, but you know, you can't really make people volunteer to be <laughs> tour guides. So right. you, you do have to, you do have to add a monetary aspect in there, unfortunately. But I would understand if, if somebody would, would think, um, you know, what I'm doing is a problem. I mean, I, I agree. It's kind of like um, TV, for example. You know, if somebody offered you a TV deal, mm-hmm. um, well, would you turn it down? You, you, you know, because they're offering you a job where you could you could investigate the paranormal twenty four seven. Right. Um, but on the other hand, you know, it's for TV, which is all about that razzle dazzle. Yeah. And that's what they're going to be wanting and of course things are going to be augmented because we all know that the paranormal it is elusive you're not going to get it to perform on on call so it's again another tough situation until we can get um enough money from uh the academic sectors to be able to properly study these phenomena, we're, we're going to be in these catch-22, um, impossible choice situations. Yep, absolutely. You know, and like you said, like TV, they have the resources to uh, to bring it to a wider audience, to get you that, that high-end technology to try to capture these things. But like you said, w- we view and experience the paranormal from our hearts and our minds more than some little gadget. Um, and... With that also comes the stories, and the stories are often much more dramatic than seeing the ghost ever could. So I kind of... Yeah. W- would you mind if we went through a couple of these really interesting ghost stories from Milwaukee? Sure. Um, yeah. One of the ones I found very intriguing was um, about a young boy named Raymond Knotts and the tragedy oh, yeah. that struck him. Could you... Yeah. Poor you, little Raymond. Oh, oh man. So young. Yeah. Yeah, that's a a story which really when when I found it, you know, I was like, why do why do more people don't why is it that nobody knows this story? Mm-hmm. Uh because it it's it's probably the most terrifying story <laughs> I've ever found. Yeah. So, 9-year-old uh Raymond, uh he uh he was, you know, a little boy uh in Milwaukee in 1920 and all of a sudden his parents knows, noticed that that he seemed paralyzed by fear. Now, his parents were estranged. It was unusual for the time uh, that they were living separately, and they eventually divorced. But um, his mother's last uh, recollection of Raymond was that he was just huddled in the corner of a room, and his eyes were constantly roaming the corners. Uh, as if something was after him. And 
you know, she tried, of course, to speak to him about uh, what was going on, but he refused to speak about it except for repeating that there was a white shadow that was following him. Mm-hmm. Now, um, when Raymond's father came to pick him up and take him home that night, uh, he also noticed that that Raymond um, was actually not, wouldn't walk side by side. Uh, with the father, but was actually, you know, staying several steps back. Um, and in retrospect, you know, when I think about that, I, I think about, well, he's got this thing following him. You, you think he would run up to his father and, you know, <laughs> want his father to hold his hand or, or, you know, just to be right there next to him to try to get rid of this thing. Mm-hmm. But in, instead, it's, it seems to me that, okay, he's got this, this entity following him. You know, maybe this was an act of, of heroism on, on Raymond's part, and he was trying to keep the creature away from his father. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, th- and that's why he was staying so far back uh, from him. But, but yeah, so uh, what happened then is the father took him home, and uh, Raymond, again, just stayed in the living room, huddled in the corner. And then his father eventually, you know, made him go to bed and had to like force him into the bedroom. Uh, he was so frightened of, of leaving the, the living room. And then into the night, um, the, the father was awakened by Raymond who, um, was, well, actually laughing or making some kind of strange noises. And so the father went into the bedroom and he heard Raymond talking to somebody saying, you know, you can't get me. And, then laughing uh, as if he was in some kind of trance. And then the, the, his father was shaking him, and, and his, his father reported that he had said, um, oh, Daddy was so beautiful, I was swimming with the fishes. Oof, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. So, so the father, you know, uh, isn't quite sure to deal with what is happening. You know, these to him were just the imagined... Uh, 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 What's just the imagination of a little boy, yeah, right? The, yeah. the the harmless imaginings or, or maybe a nightmare. Um, but then, unfortunately, um, the next day, well, you got to get up and go to work. And that's what um, that's what Raymond's father did. And he left Raymond in the care of a neighbor lady. And unfortunately, she lost sight of him. He took his fishing pole and he walked to Lake Michigan um, and disappeared. Now, later when a, a search was launched for him, they, they did find him washed up on the shore of Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. And um, in the ensuing investigation, they were able to determine that, that Raymond must have just walked into Lake Michigan. You know, not that he was overcome by some rogue wave or something like that right. or fell in and hit his head. But that when he arrived at Lake Michigan, they felt that, you know, the likely scenario was he just put down his fishing pole and walked into Lake Michigan to drown, walked wow. to his death. Wow. So what is going on there? Yeah. What, what? <laughs> you know, when you read that story, oh, man, it goes right to your, right to your heart. It does. It's so sad. And then you have to wonder what kind of a, like, entity – or uh, spirit would want to drive a little boy 
to feasibly commit suicide at such a young age. And that's where you get into the whole idea of are there good and bad spirits or... Yeah, like, there's nothing involving this story that makes me think that whatever was communicating with this little boy uh, had good intentions, obviously. Um, yeah. What What do you make of that, Allison? What do you make of why he may have done this? Well, yeah, I just, I just don't know. I, kn- I know that he um, told his dad, this is a quote from Raymond, all the way home that white shadow crept right along behind me something is going to happen i can feel it um yeah i mean this was not uh, this was not some kind of newspaper hoax or anything like that i mean i was able to find the house um where raymond lived i I was able to you know confirm uh the identity of his father and um because his father ends up in the newspapers 20 years later uh, he never got back together with the mother uh they stayed estranged even in tragedy yeah and um someone had just found his body in the street and uh, he he was listed in the newspaper because people were looking for any ne- next of kin for Raymond's father. So uh, uh, tragedy all around. Yeah. Uh, now, yeah. So usually when I think of the paranormal, I don't think of these malevolent entities, but they could be out there. I mean, I uh, it's I I was really surprised that when this summer um, I prepared uh, another presentation um every year i do a milwaukee fordiana presentation for uh the milwaukee paranormal conference mm-hmm. and so in my research i found all this um historical information newspaper articles and books and other things that pointed to a long history in milwaukee of uh exorcism by the catholic church and so that was just startling to me to find out that that uh you know these these uh traditional uh rituals that you see portrayed you know in the movie the exorcist and and this year in the the TV series the exorcist they really have a basis in fact and not only that they have a lot of local connections oh man i can only imagine that like opened up the floodgates for your your Absolutely. research and your yeah historical research wow yeah and the the most startling thing was finding that that not only have these things occurred here that Mm. we've had exorcisms which made the papers here uh and then so you you have to ask yourself well if if there's so many that made the papers what didn't make the papers you know it's a lot more likely that that there was a lot more going on um and then i found out that um in in um milwaukee actually Specifically, uh, yeah, on, on Blue Mound Road uh, here in Milwaukee. So if you're you're, you're a local, you know where that is. <laughs> um, that there is something called the Pope Leo the Thirteenth Institute, and it is a private nonprofit organization whose stated purpose is to educate priests in the holy ministry of exorcism and deliverance. Right here in Milwaukee, we have an organization that trains exorcists. I thought you had to go all the way to Rome for that. Not the case. There's a lot of things going on beneath the surface 
of the city that nobody has any idea about. Wow, that's that's not like a movie within itself. Like this yeah. <laughs> sort of Cladenstein group training exorcists in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. That Yeah. I'm gonna start writing it. I don't know. I'll give you credit, <laughs> I promise. But awesome. I need to get off UFOs for a little bit and write something else. <laughs> <laughs> to demons. <laughs> yeah, let's go to demons. Well, um, you know, I spent half my life as a baseball player, actually, Allison. That was oh, wow. a huge passion of mine. Yeah, um, all throughout uh, my entire life, up through um, even college, even. And um, I found this really interesting. You came across a story about Charles Fister and the Milwaukee Brewers. Now, what, That's right. what is this connection? This really fascinated me. Can you okay. tell us a little about this? Yeah, so the, the Fister Hotel uh, in Milwaukee... Um, Oh man, it is, it is one of our most beautiful hotels. It was built in 1893 and it's probably Milwaukee's best known haunted location. And this is because, um, it keeps making the papers, um, with these, these stories of Charles Fister. And, and who is he terrorizing? He's terrorizing major league baseball players. <laughs> and okay, so, uh, this this story goes back a, a little bit further, though, because um, many witnesses have reported seeing Charles Fister, uh, the the founder of the Fister Hotel, in the hotel uh, since around the time when he died of natural causes in uh, 1927. So they have seen him though appearing on uh, the the grand uh, staircase. Uh, above the lobby and they've seen him strolling in the gallery in the minstrels ballroom. Um, they've seen him even riding the elevator. Now um, people that used to know Charles Fister who worked there really had a fondness for him and, and everybody called him uncle Charlie. So these early reports uh, that, you know, Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Go back decades. Really uh, talk about this this gentlemanly figure 
who is just overseeing the hospitality of the hotel. And then in 2001, that all changes uh, when Adrian Beltre of the L.A. Dodgers stays there one night with his team. They came in late after a game, and he said that pretty much as soon as he got to the room, there was a pounding uh, coming down the hallway and then on his door. But, you know, major league players do haze each other. And, you know, there's kids around who might be getting into some mischief. You don't know. So he didn't think anything of that. And then he just decided that he was going to kick back and relax. Uh, so he put on the TV, uh, turned up the air conditioner. But he couldn't get any rest because the air conditioner and the TV repeatedly switched itself off. Mm. And at some point, he had just had enough and decided, well, I'm just going to go to bed. And as he laid down uh, and started to just, you know, that 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 moment when you're almost gone, you're mm-hmm. drifting off to sleep, pound, pound, pound would come behind the headboard. So it, it was like somebody would not let him sleep because he claimed that this went on for uh, the continuously, you know, whenever he tried to drift off to sleep, mm-hmm. he would hear this racket behind his headboard that would startle him awake and that this went on for that those three nights and he only was able to get two hours of sleep Mm. and he was quite upset too when he got some ribbing from his teammates when they discovered that he had begun taking a bat to bed with him for protection (laughs) (laughs) so since then um this was reported in sports illustrated in 2001 and since then there have just been so many stories about um, the haunting at the Fister Hotel from Major League Baseball players that it's really overshadowed any other reports uh, from the hotel. Mm-hmm. And um, it uh, there's a book called uh, Field of Screams, which is a, a great book about um, haunted baseball. And wow. a whole, they have a whole chapter in there about the Fister Hotel. That's so cool, you know, and yeah. y- you have to wonder, like, is there, uh, <laughs> is this their way of trying to, um, make the visiting team lose the next day well, or <laughs> that's what I joke about that. Obviously Charles Fister is a big fan of the Milwaukee Brewers yeah, <laughs> and he's using his spiritual influence to make sure the other team loses. Yeah. But actually I'm going to level with you. Okay. That's a joke. And it gets a big laugh on the tour every time. And I used to tell uh, the real story. Um, but then I felt like, okay, Ryan, when I, when I find a story that nobody else has reported it on, I feel personally connected to it. And I feel sympathy for the people that were involved, mm-hmm. you know, or, or empathy more, more like, uh, more likely. Right. And so there, there was something that happened at the Fister Hotel uh, in I'm just going to be vague in the 1980s that I think might be connected. Now I, I joke about Charles Fister, and for a while I did tell the real story on the tour, but then I thought, well, you know what? I don't know if I'm really respecting the memory of this person, mm-hmm. so I'm just going to keep in the joke. And so now I'm working on a book, and in the book I felt like you know I should come clean and tell the real story. So it's weird, you know. I don't make things up, but. Yeah. You know, sometimes I feel to be respectful to the spirits, you got to hold things back. I um, get that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, in in the 1980s, there was a, a very disturbed young man who thought that he was going to lose his job. And he he had had, you know, mental issues in the past. 
And he rented a room at the Fister Hotel. And he decided that that was it. He, he wrote his suicide note and he crawled out uh, onto the ledge outside of his window. And he just kept crawling until um, he fell down, um, fell down many, many stories mm-hmm. and uh, died. Now, he happened to fall um, onto a ledge that was outside another hotel room. Mm-hmm. And in the hotel room were two players from the Minnesota Twins. Oh, now, okay. at some point, they recognized that there was this person out on the ledge. And they thought it was some drunk that on a lark had crawled out onto the ledge. And so they opened the window uh, and they were calling out to him. And you can imagine some of the things that might have been said, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, because they thought he was a drunk. They didn't know about the tragedy that had just unfolded. Yeah. And uh, one of the players actually was like, well, I'm going out there <laughs> and uh, almost crawled on t- onto the ledge to get the guy. But then cooler heads did prevail and they called authorities. And then at that point, you know, not until much later then um, did they find out what had actually happened. Mm. Now, to me, that seems more connected to Major League Baseball than Charles Fister. And yeah, yeah perhaps the the thing that's going on here is that, you know, that that person who had died or was in the process of dying, um, you know, some somehow was entrained on these major league pay- players, perhaps because of something that was said, you know, it's unknown why why somebody haunts. Yeah. But, you know, certainly there's an emotional connection there. So the other thing that I found um, from my investigations of the Fister Hotel is that um, most of the Major League Baseball player sightings or experiences actually happen in the newer part of the hotel, which was added on in the 1960s. Mm. And that's where the suicide occurred. Okay. Okay. Wow. That's generally reported. Okay. So I could imagine no hotel. Yeah. Yeah. You got. So, yeah, the old hotel, you you would think that's where Charles Fister would reside because that's where he um, he lived in life until his death in 1927. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, like what what would cause a haunting of the tower? Yeah. And looks like I found it. That's see, that's wonderful research, Allison. I mean, like you said, we would think it would come from the older part with more history but this clearly this suicide is an unresolved issue um you know with the the people involved obviously and something i would assume the hotel would not want out to the public um right we have i give you an exclusive i was just gonna say we have changed (laughs) that today on itf auxiliary um but i i appreciate you telling us that because like you said um the honest truth behind these stories it's is what is going to make us respect the researcher even more. So, no, I appreciate that. Well, something else, another sort of exclusive that you have brought forth in your presentations is the idea that a ghost can actually leave footprints. Um, oh, yeah. This is very interesting. We hear sometimes of residual effects of a haunting, but a footprint? Uh, you got to tell me more about this. Uh, so what yeah. happened in 1924? Okay, so this 1924 case, um, I found it in 
uh, the old newspapers, of course. Um, it was uh, written up um, in uh, many, many uh, different newspapers during that time. And it involves the household of Miss Minnie Plants. Now, Miss Minnie, uh, she lived kind of uh, in, in a part of the, the city that wasn't very well developed. So she was a little bit at that time, it was it was a little bit remote. And she started experiencing these strange phenomena um, where at night the house just erupted in racket. There was no way to get any sleep because of the pounding, the constant pounding and shaking in the house. Now, uh, then her son-in-law was grabbed by invisible hands on one occasion and uh, severely beaten. And so she decided, oh, man, I have got to do something. And what are you going to do? You call the cops. So she called in police. And they did, uh, several police officers did experience um, seeing weird lights that seemed to emanate from the ground and then then rise up um, over the roof and disappear. And they also heard the mysterious rappings. And then when uh, officers were at the scene, uh, they were unable to catch any perpetrator of this nightly halt. Harassment, but but they did um, see that the strange events did indeed repeat themselves. And on one occasion, um, outside of the house, they did notice these very large footprints. Um, it was a, a actually a, a size eleven ee footprint in the snow. Oof. And so, in some kind of Cinderellian type hunt, they did go around the neighborhood, <laughs> going door to door, <laughs> trying to find the perpetrator with these big feet wow and and they did not they were not able to you know find anyone whose feet matched that description Uh now of course after this uh you know the the investigation came to an end i mean it was inconclusive there's nothing more that they could do they can't find a perpetrator they're seeing these strange things but there's no way to you know document that really i mean uh there's nothing you can do so they stopped coming and Minnie and her family was just left alone. Mm. And so that was the end of the story for me for a while because, you know, I couldn't find uh, any more articles or any more information. And, and that's the most frustrating part of the research is that you get, you know, some tantalizing tidbits and then you really want the rest of the story. Yeah. So. In this case, though, I did get the rest of the story because I blogged about it. <laughs> and years later. Someone um, in the plant's family was doing some uh, genealogical research, and he was just Googling different names of his of his family members. And lo and behold, he finds my blog article. Of course. <laughs> and he calls me, and he tells me that he's just shocked because he knew that something went on uh, in his family, but it was always kept hush-hush about about oh Aunt Minnie wasn't she crazy? Yeah. Um, but he he uh, dug a little deeper uh, into it um, and was able to find out uh, some things that were really startling to me. So um, as I was able to provide for him, he never knew that the police were involved, but he did know that there were these strange wrappings that would keep everyone up in the house all night long because. 
of course, Minnie was always terrified, and she would um, try to get members of her family to um, stay overnight with her uh, as she aged and was left alone. And so, of course, family members would would try to oblige. But when you have a full-time job, you cannot be in a situation where you're kept up every night, all night long. And so they were only able to do that for uh, a few days at a time. Mm -hmm. And most of the time she was left alone with this terror. Now, uh, the interesting thing this relative was able to tell me was that uh, Minnie had had a very, very tumultuous, um, abusive relationship with her husband Mm -hmm. who had died some 10 years before these events were recorded. So, but he felt that really this was her husband coming back to terrorize her. Ah. And it's not known why there's this gap in, in the appearance of, of the specter, but you know, um, perhaps it's just because, uh, on that side, you know, time is different than it is here. Mm -hmm. But, um, he he really feels that this was this was uh, Minnie's husband coming back to terrorize her and abuse her even after death and he told me that what were the size of uh, this husband's shoes 11 ee oh no <laughs> yeah. so for me that that was uh it's just you know i wish that would happen every time <laughs> right yeah well i mean that goes to show like the the you know with the advent of the internet and uh it just it increases the exposure and i i would assume helps your research in connecting with people who might be involved with these things like you said yeah. you found immediate family you know though distant in decades of these people so that's right. that's incredible to me that you're able to trace back that far and that forward um with the case so wow um footprints of a ghost. Uh, right. Yeah. So you don't, you don't normally think of, you know, ghosts leaving footprints, no. but in this case they did. Yeah. That was one of the phenomena. Give it up, man. Like the terrorizing, <laughs> it's over. You've moved on. <laughs> She's moved on. Just get over it. <laughs> That's right. That's all I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> I guess sort of, um, you know, we've covered a lot about the supernatural, Allison, but you have other very, interesting interests. Um, one is that of Charles Fort and the idea of Fortia. Um, now, this is yeah. something I, I don't know much about. Um, my co-hosts certainly do. Um, so I kind of wanted to cover that with you today. Um, you know, what is the idea of Fortian and who was Charles Fort? Charles Fort was an early 20th century writer and researcher, and he searched tirelessly the the um, resources of the New York Public Library, yes. where you you can visit probably today if you wanted to. Absolutely. Um, so that was his thing. He 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 was so interested in finding weird tales for which science didn't have an answer. Mm-hmm. He he saw himself as like this confounder of science and love to throw the unexplained uh, in the faces of skeptics. <laughs> and what a rebel. All right. Yeah. So I really admire that about him. And Fortiana then uh, named after Charles Fort is a collection of oddities that don't make sense or 
defy explanation. Mm-hmm. So it's anything from ghosts to UFOs to crypto creatures, anything unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, strange rain. That That's something that, that he's known for, like rains of um, fish and frogs mm-hmm. that um, have been um, – have been recorded over the centuries. Uh, so he wrote four books, and uh, he was somebody that that um, I try to be like because you know, as I said in the beginning of the broadcast, um, I I'm not your typical researcher in that you know I'm not about the uh, gadgets. Although gadgets are cool, I love gadgets, I love technology. Yeah. But that's not my forte, and and neither is um. Neither is the the metaphysical because I, for a long time, uh, have felt very skeptical about the paranormal because there is so much fraud and there is um, so many people who who just want to believe beyond reason. Uh, so I've I've been in a skeptical uh, place. Um, you know that's changed of late. I gotta say <laughs> I've had a few experiences which um, have have made me um, reevaluate. But um, the kind of research researcher I am is like Charles Fort. I mean, I'm looking for these strange stories that have no explanation in the past and, and trying to bring them into the future to see what might be revealed. Very interesting. Now, are there any, I guess, uh, crypto creatures or uh, cases in specific that you – that are just yours. You know how, I mean, here in the UFO realm, uh, the 1980 Rendlesham case is like my, my golden calf. I worship it. <laughs> I, it'll always be a part of my life. Um, are there any sort of like Dover demons or, um, you know, West Virginia mothmen in your life that really keep you going all the time? Well, um, oh man, there's just so much, Ryan. I mean, it's, it's really hard for me to, you know, peg one or two things. I mean, we talked about, um, we talked about a little Raymond. I mean, that, that really, yeah. uh, is something that stuck with me. And, um, there are, there are creatures here. There, there are stories of, of, uh, of a lake monster on, on Lake Michigan. Okay. Um, that go, go back to the 1890s. Um, there are, of course, um, you know all the reports uh, in Wisconsin of um, of the Bray Road Beast, which uh, my friend Linda Godfrey is the head researcher on. You know she's really brought us a lot of great great uh, books about that that um, werewolf type creature. Right. And uh, you know I, I know one person that did did claim to to see him in the city here, um, but that seems to be an isolated uh, report. Okay. Uh, yeah, they're. they're I think for me, like th- there's so many compelling ghost stories uh, that nobody knows about. Yeah. Um, so, so that does it for me. There's oh, there's the airship. We didn't talk about the airship. We yet. did not. We uh, as yeah. a UFO investigator, we have to. So yeah, right. Yeah. So on the night of April 11th in 1897, at around 8 p.m., um, Milwaukee had a, a visitation of of something strange in the sky and. Uh, this mysterious object passed over the the city that night. 
and people called it the airship because the the term flying saucer wouldn't be coined for another 50 years. Mm-hmm. And um, the way it was described uh, by a police officer who who saw it um, while standing on um, Broadway, which is um, <laughs> we have a Broadway too. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone uh, does. Ours is yeah. just over congested so, and gross. <laughs> yeah. So so one of our streets, uh, which which does uh, run through the third ward and downtown. Um, he described this airship as looking like four bright stars put together and it flashed uh, red and white and green. And of course, you know, people cry- tried to discount this. There was even a local uh, astronomer that was like, oh, the airship was only a star. But but to the policeman and, and other people that have seen it, um, they were like, well, a star doesn't dip and bob and <laughs> and." produce, you know, what we would call today these extraordinary aeronautical feats mm-hmm. that, you know, UFOs are known for. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, other people, like there's a central police uh, lieutenant that claimed that that the airship must be this um, a hoax, a hoax, that it was like some kind of lantern that they were flying on a kite from the North Point Lighthouse grounds. Now, mm. That's crazy because, uh, you know, if you're local, you know, that's just miles and miles away. And, you know, how how could you at that time have um, some kind of light strung out on, on two miles of string? I mean, it just right. it just stretches credulity. Um, now, the airship later on that night passed over the city of Sheboygan. And so then any explanations, you know, of it being some kind of hoax, uh or, um, you know, a star mm-hmm. are, are really, really don't don't cut it. And then when you look into the accounts uh, from that year and and um, from 1896 uh, as well. So this was 1897 and 1896, this airship phenomena started to be experienced all over the United States Mm -hmm. where this strange craft was seen. And, you know, this was, this was, um, this was like six years before, uh, the Wright brothers. So nobody knows what it could have been. I mean, they had balloons, they had Zeppelins at the time, but they weren't able to, uh, produce these, these dazzling aerial feats that, that were described. So um, this this airship phenomena is is something that that still defies explanation to this day. Yeah, yeah. The airship mystery is, um, you know, it, it's sort of touted as the the antiquity of UFO events before the modern UFO era of Roswell, Kenneth Arnold. Um, but like you said, this thing had lights flashing on it. Um, even the Wright brothers weren't using lights on their their um their prototypes at that time so you right have, you truly have to wonder um i'm gonna sort of put you on the spot here allison are there any okay. other ufo cases in your area that are of keen interest to you or that you have personally heard reports of oh definitely so yeah. uh another one that i'm fascinated with is the uh connection to ufos with the unfortunate disaster um, that occurred um, in 1950, June 25th, 1950. Northwest uh, Airlines Flight uh, 2501 disappeared that night yes. over Lake Michigan. Yep, I and um, about that. Yeah. right, and so its its last contact was was with um, the Milwaukee Airport. 
Now, um, it was on its way uh, from NYC, where you are, to Seattle, and then it just disappeared over Lake Michigan, and, and, and 58 people in the aircraft are still missing. Yeah. Now, that's kind of like our uh, MH370, but nobody even remembers that, it mm-hmm. seems. Mm-hmm. Um, and, all right, so were there remains found? Yes, there were some remains of humans found, but no full body and no um, no uh, fuselage, no uh, parts of the plane uh, were found. What was found was uh, just um, actually splinters of things mm-hmm. and of people. And uh, so we won't go into the gory details there, but yeah. but um, no no uh, full body and and no uh, plane wreckage was wow. ever found. And they're, they're still searching for it to the, to this day. Uh, now, I had heard a little something about, hey, wasn't wasn't there, um, you know, some Coast Guard that um, they went out um, off of Milwaukee and, you know, they saw some strange lights uh, in the sky uh, that night in in the direction of, you know, where the plane would have gone down. Now, so they essentially were reporting a UFO and I thought, Oh, well that's, that's pretty cool. But then I was like, well, is there something to this? And, you know, could, could there have been a crash between the, a UFO and an airliner? And, uh, I was startled at finding the articles, you know, how many articles there were from that night Mm -hmm. all around the country of people reporting strange things in the sky. So it wasn't just that, you know, one local report that I've heard of, but there were strange lights and craft reported pretty much everywhere across the country that night. And to me, that is just, I was like, I can't even believe I'm finding all these articles yeah. um, from, from that fateful, from hours around that fateful event. Yeah. And then, um, so I also found that, um, that Donald Kehoe, who you know was the the founder of NICAP, the National Investigative Inva- Investigations Committee, it's a big mouthful. The National <laughs> Investigations Committee. Why are they? Phenomena. They're always like a mile long. NICAP. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> Every UFO organization always has like the biggest acronym in the world. It's like, come yeah. on, guys. <laughs> I can't say it clearly. Um, but anyway, so NICAP. It was founded uh, by uh, a former Marine uh, Corps naval avi- naval a- aviator. I can't even say aviator right now. Aviator <laughs> named Donald Kehoe, who, if you know anything about UFOs, was a huge figure yeah. in in the UFO uh, field. And he uh, interviewed an Air Force captain who had a- after the um, NW twenty five hundred one crash felt that something weird was going on there. And, and he, he said to Kehoe that here's the quote, there've been some particular, some peculiar crashes the last few years. And he said, you know, take that Northwest airlines, DC four that went into Lake Michigan. So nothing has ever been found to show what exactly happened to that ship. And the, 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 um, Reporting agency at, at the time, the, the Civil uh, Aviate, Aviatic Sport, Aviatic Sport, I think, um, uh, they um, they 
said that you know the crash was inconclusive. They they could find um, no. Oh, the Civil Aeronautic Board. Sorry, okay. <laughs> I, I'm cursed here with with uh, my tongue uh, <laughs> is, is tied. But yeah, so the Civil Aeronautics Board uh, never never found an answer to yeah. what happened to the plane. And so it's interesting to think that there there were people uh, in the Air Force at that time who felt like something unusual went on here, and uh, it was connected. It may have been connected to, to the UFOs. And if you want to read more about that, you can read it in a book called Flying Saucers from Outer Space by uh, Major Donald Kehoe. Yep. Wonderful read. I've got it right here in my library next oh my to gosh. me. I um I inherited a huge amount of uh of classic flying saucer books um from a bunch of different researchers throughout the years. So I could not be more thankful for that. And I remember that case specifically coming up. Um it's fascinating and it's very mysterious. Like where are the bodies? Where's the wreckage? What kind of force either took that plane down or what kind of force made it hit the water so with such impact that we cannot find full bodies or wreckage right. it, that it's, you only find particles of of people and yeah. and um you know blankets and you right. know other things but you can't find the fuselage and um there's there's an active search for um for the NW2501 and it's been going on for at least a decade so um Clive Cussler is the best-selling uh author of the Dirk Pitt adventure series mm-hmm. and he bankrolls that search uh for the the missing plane every year wow that that's fascinating you you have to wonder what kind of motive he has for that um but a lot of people just want to know the truth you know and right. um, we also think like these investigations just dissolve but um then 30 40 50 years later we find the wreckage of a a ship or a plane and um you 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 have to remain hopeful that we we do want to find answers for these things. They're not just some crazy fringe mystery that all us kooks and conspiracy nuts talk about. Um, yeah. these, these are people's lives that were lost and right. we owe it to them to find out what actually happened. So, and I think that's what, what motivates Clive Kessler and, um, uh, Valerie Van Heest, um, she lives in Michigan and she's the director of the Michigan Sh- uh, Shipwreck Research Associates. And she's also an award winning author and researcher. And she's the one who actually does the, the dives for Clive Cussler and, uh, has written a book called Fatal Crossing about, um, that, um, and NW2501 disaster. Mm-hmm. And actually, you know, through her historical research, has been able to find um, the remains, the you know particles of you know the the people that unfortunately died um, in the crash, and and she's been able to find two locations where um, those you know scattered remains were in, interred, and then was able to bring the families there um, wow. to have some closure. So that's how. That's one example of how historical research can really connect with people of today and improve their lives. You know, what she's doing um, is is one way. Uh, you can take history and, and have it make a difference for people. And I think we can do that in the paranormal as well. Absolutely. It comes from grassroots civilians doing that historical research. So, um, And you're one of those people out there doing that, Allison. Um, can you tell us a little bit about this book you're working on? 
Okay, so uh, it's taken me forever, but uh, as it always does, it, don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, once with it you. comes out, once it comes out, it's going to be worth worth it. it, it uh, the tentative uh, title right now is is Paranormal Milwaukee: 101 Haunts You Can Visit, and so of course it's going to feature stories behind uh, haunted attractions, hotels, restaurants, and even hair salons if you want a haunted haircut. <laughs> <laughs> so because. Ryan, like just just like me, you love when you visit a location mm-hmm. to go to every place haunted, every place weird. Yeah. So I figured, you know, what a great idea for a book that to have a travel guide to Milwaukee's haunts and you know other unusual places as well, um, and to put it in a book that uh, is is aimed at uh, tourists, but also locals because. I figure if you really want to have a paranormal experience, not just the, you know, bleeding walls, hey, grab uh, a ghost, grab me by the throat kind of um, shock value things. Mm-hmm. But if you're really looking for a paranormal investigation uh, or a paranormal experience uh, and you don't have time to sit through investigations, what are you going to do? Well, you got to do errands, right? Well, <laughs> why not? Why not, when you have to go to the grocery store, pick a haunted grocery store? Or, right. yeah, when you have to, when you have to get a haircut, you know, go get a haunted haircut, right? <laughs> Why not go to places that have this incredible history? Because it's really, I think it's, it's a value add. Um, it's an amenity that you shouldn't have to go without, right? It's exactly. Like some, that little something extra. Um, that makes a place compelling. You know, why go to a, a place that is just like a, you know, some kind of chain, mm-hmm. you know, when you can, you can visit a place with history, um, that might rub off on you a little bit. If you want to have a paranormal, uh, experience, what you're really going to have to do is increase your chances of that happening. And what better way than to plan your day around haunted locations? Wow. Oh, I am so sold. That is the best pitch I've heard. <laughs> I'm gonna have to. My girlfriend and I make our way to Milwaukee. But. I have a I have a hundred and fifty places right now, and I'm and I'm like paring it down to the uh, hundred yeah. one most <laughs> active places. Cool. The narrowing down, I'm sure, isn't easy because you no. just want to involve them all. But I get it. That one hundred and one yeah. is always like the the buzzword, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you would know that as a teacher, I would assume too. Absolutely. <laughs> well, like I said, um. We spoke a couple of weeks ago on uh, a podcast, See You on the Other Side. Could you tell us a little bit of how you got involved with that and um, what you guys are doing over there? Okay, well, uh, here's the story. Well, you know, in 2008, I started MilwaukeeGhost.com and I started my haunted history tours. And at some point, I was like, hey, bro, you've <laughs> got to do a haunted history tour for Madison. That's where my brother lives. Mm-hmm. And so I helped him um, start on his research. And yeah, so he, he started um, a haunted history tour in Madison. And then, oh, man, he just hasn't stopped. He um, wrote a, a tour that he uh that he is able to run in um, St. Paul, also one in Minneapolis, and um, this year, uh, Waukesha, Wisconsin. So at any given uh, night, he could have, you know, uh, four tours running at the same time. Wow. So he, he's really a, an overachiever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but then he he was like, hey, you know, we should be doing podcasts. And, and we, we did um, do a podcast just together. For a while, um, 
called, I think it was called Paranormal Wisconsin. You still might be able to find some of the old episodes out there. Mm. But then he his other love is uh, music. He's a musician. And uh, in his travels, when he's on tour, of course, he stays like we do at a lot of haunted places and seeks out those weird stories. So he thought, well, I'm going to put these two things together. And he came up with the podcast, uh, See You on the Other Side. And yeah, so we've just been going strong for, um, I think it's a couple of years now. We have yeah. uh, over a, a hundred episodes and I'm not on all the time, but I, I am a pretty regular guest these days. Um, as I, as I said, um, Mike started, my brother Mike Huberty started the podcast, uh, with his bandmate, uh, Wendy Lynn Stotts, who's his drummer. And to, to uh, document, you know, some of the experiences that they've had on the road and, and also talk to guests like you. And, uh, yeah, so um, I'm I'm a regular uh, co-host, uh, but but not not on every time. But I think my episodes are the best episodes. Uh. <laughs> but I might be biased. A um, little bit, a little yeah, bit. I really wanted to have you on because um, it seems like you're part of this whole movement um, to humanize the phenomena mm-hmm. and to Look for patterns to to try to uh, subject the uh, strange phenomena to uh, some of the tools of the social sciences. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I was like, oh, we got to have Ryan on. And um, we've also had um, Jeff Holder on who wrote a book, um, Poltergeist Over uh, Scotland, which um, is about 134 poltergeist cases he was able to find uh just in scotland um due to his research and you know the patterns um and revelations that uh came out of uh analyzing each case wow so there's a lot of people doing uh you know doing just that uh you're doing it uh as i said jeff holder there's also um steve parsons um who's from the uk and he's collected uh, stories of um, a time slip that has kept uh, appearing over the years in Liverpool. He has over 100 cases. So uh, there are people really doing the documentation that, that's going to, um, I think, yield some some pretty hefty, hefty res- uh, revelations in the coming years. I, I have to agree. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're and we're coming together. You know, it's no longer like UFOs are disconnected from ghosts, disconnected from cryptids. Um, we're all finding these patterns about the human nature of these things and how that's impacting us. Um, and I think that's that, like you said, there's a renaissance happening in all these fields and we're starting to come together. Uh, I mean, you and I are doing this podcast right now and we come from completely different angles, as it were. Right. And, uh, we found this commonality of the human effect of these events. And I think that's very exciting. Um, I'm really looking forward to hearing more about what you guys are doing over there. And, um, what, what is next for you, Alison? What, what do you got on the docket? I know you're an award winning researcher. Um, (laughs) I had to put that in there, um, because I, I, I love that conference that just happened in Milwaukee. I heard it went amazing. Uh, and we've got to help those guys out to keep it going. Um, what's next for you? Well, um, as you mentioned, uh, the Milwaukee Paracon, uh, has just, uh, been such a, a force, uh, for, for bringing, uh, the paranormal to Milwaukee. 
And, uh, you know, this year uh, was really an ambitious event, two-day event. And uh, T. Krulus is the organizer. Um, he's a, a great uh, researcher, writer in our area. And uh, he was able to bring in, you know, so many great guests and also to uh, draw from the paranormal community. And this year he awarded me the Wisconsin Researcher of the Year Award, yes. which, uh, <laughs> you know, to me, that was the pinnacle of achievement. Now, now I can just take a nap. That's what's next. <laughs> um, no, but uh, I was really uh, so touched by that. Um, last year, uh, during our, our first Milwaukee Paracon, he awarded it to Linda Godfrey, who uh, I mentioned previously, uh, who has just uh, brought so much to the field um, in her research. Yeah. yeah, in her research on uh, the Bray Road Beast and other werewolf-like creature reports across the country. Um, so it really means a lot to me. And um, so I am continuing to uh, to be a 14, to, to be uh, somebody who um, can't get enough of those old newspaper articles and searching tirelessly for these stories that nobody's ever heard of. And mm-hmm. And I think what's next is, uh, you know, I got to finish my first book, but I, I think a lot of these stories that we talked about today, although they're not, um, they're not like the, the travel guide I'm working on, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of, um, history conveyed in, in stories, uh, uh that I've uncovered, uh, you know, the Sportiana. And, and I think that would make a great book as well, um, just just because uh, there's so many untold stories here in Wisconsin and in the Midwest in general. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, so I've, I've really had a, a, a small, you know, very specific net looking for, for things in Milwaukee. But if I, I broaden it out to Wisconsin and, and other um, nearby uh, states, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to come up with even more stories that nobody's ever heard before that really leave you scratching your head. And, and that's that's what gets me up in the morning. Oh, I couldn't put it better myself. Me too. <laughs> as long as I have my cup of coffee and a good story, <laughs> I'm good to go. Ellison, it's been amazing talking to you today. Um, I'm sold. I want your books. I want your tour. <laughs> Where can I find out more about uh, about all this? Well, you can find me on MilwaukeeGhost.com, mm-hmm. and that's uh, plural, Milwaukee Ghost, because if there was just one ghost in Milwaukee, I wouldn't have much to talk about. So <laughs> MilwaukeeGhost.com is a great place to to find me and um from there you can link to my blog you can uh link to um the podcast and um yeah so also the podcast i should uh, give that um there's as i said there's over um a hundred shows available for download right now and that's at othersidepodcast.com awesome well, thanks again, Ellison. Um, our listeners are going to love this. You have such a variety of topics you cover, and it's it's clear you have the passion, the insight, and uh, the knowledge to be such a force in the paranormal and 14 realm. So, again, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. That's it for this week's episode. Again, you can find all of Ellison's work at MilwaukeeGhosts.com. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review Somewhere in the Skies on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. Even if you don't use this platform, it is the largest in the world. And it only takes a few moments to sign in, subscribe, and leave a rating and review. Thank you. 
If you want to support the show on a monthly basis and receive very special rewards in return, please consider becoming a Patreon subscriber today. To learn more and to contribute, visit patreon.com slash somewhereskies. Our official store now has some brand new designs available in all different items. Go to tpublic.com and search for the Somewhere in the Skies store. Again, that's teepublic.com. We're on Twitter at Somewhere Skies and Instagram at Somewhere Skies Pod. For past episodes, articles, news, and contact information, visit the official website at somewhereintheskies.com. I'll see you here next Monday, where we're going to be discussing the power of urban legends. Remember, keep your eyes to the skies, but never stop searching somewhere on the ground. Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. To learn more, visit EntertainmentOnePodcast.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.